0: Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Being able to read others and being skilled in communicating well is a key to successful living and an absolute requirement to being a successful leader. Today's guest, Joe Navarro, is one of the most respected experts in the field, and his personal story is a fascinating one. Not many can say they were approached to join the FBI personally, but this is exactly what happened to Joe Navarro when he was 23 years old, and he accepted their offer and became one of the youngest agents ever to join the agency. Subsequently, Joe spent the next 25 years at the FBI working both as an agent and supervisor in the areas of counterintelligence and counterterrorism, pursuing spies and other dangerous criminals across the globe. Through his work, he was able to study, refine, and apply the science of nonverbal communications. And his acumen in this field and his success as a spy catcher led Joe to begin training FBI agents and the intelligence community. Today, Joe is recognized as one of the world's foremost authorities on reading nonverbal communications. He's an internationally best-selling author and has published 14 books about human behavior and body language. His books include the number one selling body language book in the world, What Every Body is Saying, and in his new book, Be Exceptional, it's a culmination of the 40 years Joe spent analyzing human behavior with more than 10,000 interviews in the field and countless high stakes behavioral assessments. In Joe's former line of work, successful leadership was literally a matter of life and death. And in Be Exceptional, he distills his experience into the five key principles that outstanding individuals live by. Joe, welcome to the Superhumanized podcast. I'm so pleased you made time for us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's it's both an honor and a pleasure to be with you, Ariana.
0: You are most kind, Joe. You actually have a fascinating story. Before you became internationally recognized as one of the world's foremost experts on body language, you were an eight-year-old refugee fleeing from... Then, communist controlled Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis. How has this experience influenced the trajectory of your life?
1: Well, thanks for uh, pointing that out. Because in fact, um, I, I I do have to say that really changed the the trajectory of, of, of my life. You know, when I uh, when I talked to my mom about what my future would have been in in Cuba, I probably like with many Cubans would have gone to study either in Germany or, or Spain or, uh, or maybe uh, in the United States. And, and I probably would have gone into some sort of uh, business but the fact that we were fleeing, we, we came to the United States as, as refugees, and we weren't sure how long we were going to be away from Cuba. Um, so th- there was that kind of instability. And the other instability was, uh, at least for me, that m- my parents obviously had to go to work immediately. Um, we didn't have any money. We had to leave everything behind. And so we spent a lot of time on, on our own as children, and really the only thing that I could rely on, because I, I didn't speak English, was my ability to understand the body language of others. And it seemed to me, even at that young age of eight, that um, this was the, the, the one true... Uh, obviously I didn't use that language, but it was the one true lingua franca that I could rely on, that a smile was a smile, that a frown was a frown, that a, 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 a gentle gesture, an open gesture uh, meant the same. And, and when you don't speak a, a native language, uh, when you don't speak the language of, of your hosts, It really makes a difference um, how you can begin to socialize. And so rather than withdraw, I use body language to understand, oh, these people were friendly. Um, They, you know, they were they would uh, laugh or or be be willing to play. And unbeknownst to me, that ability to observe uh, the body language of others in 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 perhaps more detail than the average child, um, much later became my anchor in the FBI because you know, people think that in the FBI, it's like the movies where it's about, you know, the machine guns and crashing through doors and stuff. Really, in law enforcement, you're a paid observer. That's 90% of what you do is observation. And whoever does that best is, is going to be the soonest winner. In every way, it applies also to, to life and, and to business. Because you can't innovate, you cannot um, seize opportunities, you can't take care of the people you work with or supervise if you don't have that Keen ability to observe their needs, their wants, the, their desires, but perhaps more importantly, their fears and concerns.
0: Right. And uh, what you just mentioned, you know, when you were a child and you relied on the cues, you know, smile is a smile. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, and also how you just um, mentioned how it really is crucial for so many different parts of our lives to be effective on a most basic level, being able to read each other and communicating also means survival, means being part of a group, part of a tribe, not being on your own. And um, you've seen many different cultures from where you grew up the first years of your life. Of course, mm-hmm. the U.S., you've worked globally, you speak globally. Mm-hmm. as a nonverbal communication for all people the same, or is it also influenced by culture?
1: Oh, that's a that's a great question, uh, Ariana, And I, I get that often, and the fact is that many behaviors and, 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 and really in, in the range of hundreds of behaviors are universal. Um, and we know that um, in several ways. We know that from, um, from uh, early, um, early descriptions of sailors when they arrived in different ports and they were able to transact business um nonverbally uh when when captain cook arrived in the in the pacific islands and so forth he talks about having no difficulty whatsoever describing immediately who was the chief and who were the warriors who were the um which individuals were part of the court, which individuals were um, the delegates and, and so forth. The, the body of the body language of, of, of a leader was different than of a follower. When Bernard Diaz arrived in, uh, in in Mesoamerica, what is now Mexico, he saw the same things, the same gestures, the same body language. And we know from the studies of children who are born blind, they've never seen uh, behaviors. And yet, I'll give you an example. When, when we Um, or having a tough day, or if often you see the stock market does poorly, you see a picture of somebody uh, covering their eyes. And uh, and this is universal. And we know it's universal because children who are born blind, when they hear things they don't like, they don't cover their ears, they cover their eyes, and they've never seen. So Mm. These things, these behaviors are part of our paleo circuits. They're with us, They're transferred through our DNA. Um, I'm I'm often amazed when I when I see a little child that's maybe two years old, maybe doesn't speak quite yet. And when they're upset with their mother over something, they cross their arms, they frown and they turn around. And I go, like, where did they learn that? Because their parents certainly didn't that. Um, so so those behaviors are innate. Um, the, what, what I just described, which is called um, uh, uh, ventral denial which is i will turn my belly side away from you anytime you you upset me that's that's universal now there are cultural behaviors and of course um those are um, in, in, infused um into everyday life uh gestures for saying stop or come here. Uh, For instance, in some countries, you say, come here with the fingers up. In other countries, you do it with the fingers down. Um, If you watch, uh, I, I, I love to watch. Uh, movies from other countries. So um, right now I'm binge watching a lot of movies from South Korea and, and they're fantastic. <laughs> and uh, one of the things you notice is I don't have any problem reading their body language. Uh, I, I've, I've done that with Iranian movies. Uh, I've done it with Egyptian movies, from, with Latin America. I never have problems with the, the, the body language. But you see some gestures, for instance, in a lot of um, uh, Asian countries uh, uh, when people laugh and, and it's very gregarious, they'll cover their mouth as they as they're laughing. Well, that right. gesture is cultural um, and, uh, and it doesn't apply to to all nations. in the same way that uh, spatial distances, uh, for instance, the spatial distances that you might see in, uh, in Germany or, uh, or New York are much different than the, the spatial differences, that uh, one would see in the American Midwest uh, or California. So, culture influences, um, but uh, overall, there are hundreds of of, uh, of nonverbals that are, in fact, um, universal.
0: Superhumanize. And it's fascinating how this is knowledge is embedded literally. You've mentioned it before in our DNA kind of to send us out into the world, uh, speaking symbolically running having the tools at our disposal to uh, hopefully survive within a group. And um, speaking about a group, or rather, Mm -hmm. speaking about um, the FBI. FBI is one of the most recognizable acronyms in the world, and Mm -hmm. also, for people such as I, uh, one of the most intriguing. How does someone get recruited and approached by the FBI? Can you describe the process, and also, why why do you think they were interested in you?
1: Um, but that's a profound question. You know, I was recruited in uh, 1978. Um, I was um, I was still in my 22nd year, and um, and normally you um, you 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 have to be 23 years of age. And nowadays you do it online. Nowadays you apply to the bureau, but um, back then. Um, usually at at various universities, um, there were what we called scouts. And uh, and these scouts would be looking for individuals who perhaps would fit into uh, maybe working for the FBI, maybe working for State Department in uh, international relations, or um, if they were um, keen in linguistics, perhaps for the an essay, the code breakers, and um, I, I suspect I never found out. No one told me, um, but it was it was really weird because I was in my in my uh, in my uh, apartment, and uh, I get a phone call, and I thought it was some of my friends pretending to be FBI agents. <laughs> and uh, so I, I kind of laughed it off. Well, the next day, you know, two guys showed up in a suit and they looked like they meant business and they literally handed me a packet and they said, listen, we'd like for you to fill it out. We'd like for you to apply to the bureau and uh, we know you're, you'll be graduating uh, soon and uh, and so forth. And, um, you know, t- to be honest, I. I, I looked at the opportunity in two ways. Number one, I thought it would be a great way to say to uh, thank the nation that took uh, me and my family in to say thank you um, and and serve. And uh, and number two, in part, it was financial. Um, we didn't. Ha- my family didn't have a lot of money. Uh I'm not ashamed to say my mom and my dad worked in restaurants and, you know, we were living off tips. So um, anything that would help us um, was beneficial. And um, what they saw in me, I don't know. I never asked. Um, I was just so, so grateful. But I, I, I quickly noticed once I was in the organization that, um, you almost felt like somebody was looking out for you because within a matter of a year and a half, I was working counterintelligence and I worked counterintelligence the rest of my uh, bureau career. And and really, counterintelligence work is all about um, observation because you really can't go up to a person and say, hey, are you a spy? <laughs> because that, that just doesn't work. <laughs> it just does, does not work. It's all about observation. And, um, and so, um, you know, I, I did, I did my 25 year career and, and within that uh, timeframe uh, we developed in the Bureau, a very specialized program um, called the behavioral analysis program, which at one time was, was classified um, uh, top secret uh, because we, it was a six person unit. It was the most elite unit in the FBI. First of all, um, you had to be asked to be on it and most agents didn't know it even existed. And, and the reason for that was, is we were also looking at, um, anybody that had, um, perhaps, um, had gone bad in, within the FBI. So it was very exclusive and and it was really all based on behavior, understanding behavior, decoding behavior, um, being able to understand behavior, so that we could get into the minds of the individuals that we were um, targeting for investigation. And and you learn things. You learn things that no amount of research, absolutely no amount of research, can can ever uh, give you. You know, over the years, I've talked to. Really, some of the the great researchers out there uh, Paul Ekman, uh, Judy Burgoon, Mark Frank, uh, Bella DePaulo. These people are, are great researchers. But the one thing, unfortunately, that they lack is they've never sat in a room with a terrorist or a bank robber or a psychopath, they haven't spent 10, 12 hours debriefing a uh, defector um, and uh, and or uh, doing so in a, let's say, a denied area of the world where you know you're under investigation and uh, are, are being surveilled and so forth. And so you learn a lot about human behavior. You see things that you would never see anywhere else. And and I was fortunate, uh, Ariana, that I was able to catalog and keep track of all these behaviors so that then I could study them, even though. Um, They had never been observed or written about in uh, in textbooks. And um, and and that's uh, that's something that I will always treasure that experience that I in in essence, I was an ethologist. Uh, I was uh, I was in uh, the jungle of life, observing Mm -hmm. um, uh, life as it exists. Which much uh, the same way as uh, Jane Goodall would go into a jungle and, and watch apes interact. I love I was, that. <laughs> well, it, in, in many ways, it's the same. You, you just don't know what you're going to get each day. Uh-huh. You know, when you see two mafia guys in Queens walking side by side, and you notice uh, their pace. you notice that nobody ever walks faster than uh, the the um, the head of the uh, the mafia group. you notice their the distance you notice their eye behavior who stands and sits where and, and stuff like that you you never know from each day and you can never predict but it just gives you. So many layers of understanding about what's going on within this sub- subgroup of of individuals who live in a society, and yet they're a, a subgroup within a subgroup of that society.
0: Right. And you were obviously dealing with some of the most dangerous individuals on this planet. And you mentioned before uh, that you basically say about yourself that in the FBI, you were a paid observer. you were Mm -hmm. there to observe. And uh, you, in these decades of your career, you've really honed your ability to detect when something was wrong with the person that was right in front of you. For us, mere mortals. What are some of the cues that we should really pay attention to when, with regards to some of the more unsavory individuals who may cross our life paths? What for you is a dead giveaway, um, even if you can't pinpoint it in the moment, what it is, but that something's wrong?
1: Yeah. And, and that's probably the best way to look at it, Ariana, is that um, for survival reasons, we evolved to sense um, when something is wrong. Um, our we have um, our our brain has this rather elegant and exquisite area called the limbic system, and the limbic mm. system um, is. Uh, is elegant because it reacts to the world. It doesn't have to think about the world. And so when we're walking at night and we hear a, a somebody stepping on a twig or somebody's uh, footsteps is, is walking closer, faster towards us, um, we don't have to sit there and analyze it. The limbic system does it automatically. And the first thing I, I would say is that we had to evolve a system that was binary. And so in my books, I teach that we recognize uh, in ourselves when we're both comfortable and uncomfortable in real time. Somebody violates your space and you feel Mm -hmm. uncomfortable immediately. It's not an hour later. It's not even a minute later. Somebody violates your space. You feel it in that moment. And what I teach is to listen to your body's reaction, because if you feel uncomfortable, if you feel uncertain, if you feel insecure, if you feel um, nervous or tension, it's it is in your head but it's supposed to be in your head. It's your, your, your body is reacting to the world in the way that it was evolved to react to the world. And um, we must listen to that because if we, it, we may not be paying attention, but our, our subconscious is paying attention to the world and it will do the algorithm and figure out that if this person is walking at the same speed as I am and at the same angle that at some point we're gonna come together and that's not supposed to happen on my walk down the street. Right. Something's telling me um something is is, is not right. And this has happened to me abroad. I remember um, I won't name the city uh, because it doesn't matter what city, but I was walking down the street and I got a little lost. I, I, I didn't have really good instructions to get back to the hotel, but I just there, I just had the sense that that I was being followed. And and sure enough, I was. And uh, and it could have turned ugly. Um, but my body, w- without me really thinking about it, my mind was processing this. And so I, 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 I tell people, you know, teach your children that if they feel insecure about going into a building, getting into an elevator, going up a stairs, going this way or that way, or they feel very uncomfortable with this individual to uh, not ignore uh, this, mm-hmm. because this is part of uh, being human. Now, we also have a right to be judicious um, because, as I remember one time, my daughter sneaked up on me. And, uh, and she was just trying to to, uh, scare me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we should turn around and make eye contact and see, well, who is this person? Are they a threat or not? And so forth. But we need to listen to our, our minds and our bodies. And some people say, well, I have a gut feeling. Well, interestingly enough, you know, in the last 10 to 15 years, we've come to find out that, um, Uh, we have neurons uh, that line our stomachs and the neurons in our stomachs are connected through the vagal nerves to the brain. Now, we don't know what that perfect connection is, but I know that I've been in situations where the feelings in my gut um, were telling me this isn't right. and, uh, And I paid attention to it. Mm. So listen to your listen to your your body, but also you have to pay attention. One of the things that I see is dangerous um, is I see too many people. They leave a store. Their arms are full and they're on their phone and they're walking between cars or towards their car. And they don't realize that um, just in my interviews with predators, that these are the kinds of things they focus on who's distracted because they make a, a better target.
0: Superhumanize.
1: Yes, you know, make that.
0: yourself very vulnerable and an, and an easy target and easy victim. I think something you just said is so, so vital and what you advise parents to teach their children. I mm-hmm. really feel that uh, by our modern way of life, we are taught to suppress our intuition, you know, our subconscious yeah. reactions, our bodily reactions. And uh, we're especially taught to suppress any negative feelings or thoughts that may arise when we feel insecure. When we feel, you know, somebody invades our personal space, we feel taken aback. uh, and, And especially a lot of times women are taught to not pay heed to that, where it's one of the most important clues that we can get from our environment when something is wrong.
1: Yeah and you know I mean I there's been times when I remember uh, being at a hotel in Miami and uh, there were uh, the the door open and there was all these guys and and there was just all this alcohol breath that I that I <laughs> I smelled on them, and I said, "Guys, sorry, uh, I, I I just was not going to get into that elevator with them." And and sometimes we feel like, "Oh, you know, uh, we should get into that elevator," or, um, uh, you know, no, you don't have to uh, get yeah. into the uh, the the elevator. Um, as uh, as I in one of my books, um, Dangerous Personalities, I said, yes. "You have no social obligation ever." to be victimized. And if something makes you feel uncomfortable or if, if, if your child senses something that you don't, just as I did with my mother when I said, you know, I, I don't think they want us here. Um, Listen to that child, because it's the limbic system that we're we're seeing that's um, communicating with us.
0: Yes. And um, uh, this is is so, so crucial. It's not our duty to make others feel more comfortable as in, oh, I should step into that elevator because otherwise these guys will feel weirded out that I didn't come in the elevator with them. No, you listen to yourself. You listen to your intuition. And uh, yes, in your book, uh, Dangerous Personalities, you actually also teach how to Uh, Spot predators and Mm -hmm. narcissists and teach people how to avoid them before they actually hone in on you. And this is also, of course, uh, you know, this is something that I've I've researched and I'm personally fascinated by, you know, uh, narcissistic personalities, predators, how do they function and how can we um, avoid them? And something that you also really uh, zero in on is how um, the social programming that we get that it overrides our natural instincts. So, you know, like I said before, there's so much we have to unlearn and uh, basically to tune into our instincts again.
1: Exactly. I, I you know, you're well-versed in this area. I, I wish everybody was, uh, well, they need to listen to your show. Um, but it, it really is, uh, it makes a big difference if you're well-versed in this area. And it's not being, it's not about being paranoid. It's about having that sensibility that um, we evolved to observe the world and process that world as quickly and effectively as possible, and to make uh, uh, you know, decisions. But we, we no longer live at, at, at the horizon, you know, it, it, 10,000 years ago, you would see somebody on the horizon walking towards you. And uh, nowadays, uh, somebody is turning the corner on on uh, Fifth Avenue and now they're in front of you or they're getting in the elevator with you or any number of things. And so as time has, it's temporal. Now time has shrunk, space has shrunk. And so we need even more so now than before, uh, we need to make those decisions uh, quicker. And that's, and, and in part, that's why I wrote um, the book, Be Exceptional, is that we no longer have that luxury of so much time that um, we can waste it. We have to make decisions now so much uh, more quickly. And and that's where observing is different than looking and uh, observing and decoding the world around you is so much different than merely Looking
0: Mm. And just to sum up uh, also, uh, you know, or to to, um, put a little bow in what you said um, Mm -hmm. with uh, regards to the book Dangerous Personalities, I think something Mm -hmm. that's really important is also to realize that there are people out there that are wired differently from you and I. A lot of people get hung up on that, but I would never do this. And even just realizing that there's people who operate from a completely different baseline, they're literally wired differently, can save your life or can save you from just getting into horrific situations. But um, in your book, Uh, Be Exceptional, Mm -hmm. you um, actually, you have distilled this knowledge, this vast treasure trove of knowledge that you've uh, um, amassed in your many decades of your career and of your research into these five traits that set Mm -hmm. extraordinary people apart. Can you give us an overview of what these five traits are?
1: yeah, you know, I was astonished over the years that the there was the one thing I kept observing with the, the exceptional people. um, and obviously, in my work, I, I ran into a lot of people that were not exceptional, or at least not mm-hmm. in a good way, was they they kept having these five traits that that we kept seeing over and over. and the, And the first one was that these individuals, and it didn't matter who they were or where they were, whether they were a farmer, or, you know, I, I, I write about this woman in Brazil who was blind, but, but she could do needlework. One of the things that, that I noticed was that no, no matter what they were handed, they had crafted for themselves a, a a life they had a mastery over themselves so that then they could have mastery over other things mm. And um, invariably when I looked at um, you know these exceptional individuals, the only way you could achieve all those things was to have this self-control over impulsiveness, self-control over, things that would detract you, um, things that would um, uh, keep you from being focused, uh, having your emotions uh, under control so that then you could master other things, whether it's uh, you know uh, being a, a, a creative person, a musician, an athlete, or, or I said, I, I talked to so many farmers over the years who, who just really understood the land and their animals and their family. And, and you realize um, these are very special people, but the one trait they have is, is this mastery o- over self. And obviously, in conjunction with that was that they were all invariably exceptional observers, mm-hmm. that they could sense or decode the, the fears, the concerns, the, the needs, the intentions of others. And they were able to extrapolate that uh, information very quickly and put it to good use. And that um, the most innovative of people, whether you were inventing the airplane or uh, the, you know, I talk about the man that um, invented the Velcro, mm-hmm. it was that keen ability to observe and to, and to be um Curious about the world that really set the exceptional apart, and the other thing that that they all had was this really uh, exquisite ability to communicate um, with others. And what was interesting is most of the very few people can communicate uh, exquisitely verbally like a Churchill or a Shakespeare. Right? Those are those are very few great writers, very few, but they can, but these individuals could communicate love and understanding and caring and empathy. And that was done Mm non-verbally. And it was astonishing to see at what level those um, non-verbals played at. Um, Just the other day, I'm reading about this, this woman who is, uh, I believe near a hundred, or maybe she's a hundred and every day she sits outside, and this little toddler comes over and sits with her. And this is all about nonverbals. They're, they're not having a regular conversation, and yet they spend hours together. And this is about proximity. This is about touching, haptics. This is about um, you know uh, turn yielding and um, and uh, uh, you know a lot of um, when when you tilt your head a lot, it conveys caring and so forth. It, I am sure. That 99% of their communication is nonverbal, and yet they both thrive on it. And that's the unique ability of of the e- exceptional. And the other thing that the exceptional have is that um, they act uh, immediately, very quickly, but also very pro-socially. That mm-hmm. that their ethics, right? Ethics is what is befitting of another human being. Their ethics. Um, uh, allows them to do the calculus very quickly and decide, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it now, but I'm going to do it quickly because it's it's, it's beneficial. And then right. the, the last component, which I found in a way interesting, is that humans uh, really don't seek perfection. We may strive for it, but we, in certain things, right, the musician, the artist, um, but in essence, the average person. Merely seek psychological comfort. Uh, when we're reading a good book, when we're in the company of a loved one, when we lay our heads down at night, when we make an investment, all we want is psychological comfort. And whoever provides that in life, they're the gonna be the ones that are going to be the soonest winners because they're the ones that understand how the brain works. That um, a you know a gentle hand on the shoulder when you're nervous is infinitely more powerful than just words that say, Oh, it's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's the, the essence uh, of the book, but here's what's interesting. And I'm glad you invited me on, on, on your show is when you ask people and I do this, as you know, I travel all over the world. I was in, in, in Manchester, uh, England just before, um, the COVID. And I, and I said, you know, how many of you want to be average? And (laughs) trust me, no hands went up. So I said, that's good. How many of you want to be exceptional? And all, you know, these hands, you know, 800 hands went up. So then my question was, okay, you want to be exceptional. How do you do that? Right. And then you hear silence. (laughs) Uh, because they don't. Nobody teaches you how to be exceptional. Yeah, and you know, and then you hear things like, "Well, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna read more, or I'm gonna be f- more focused." Okay, those are things that that you can do, but that doesn't make you exceptional. Because to be exceptional, you have to do exceptional things, and that's what the book is about. What are the exceptional things that you can do to be exceptional? Because otherwise, you're not going to be exceptional. You may think you are, right? Because, you know, let's face it. Average, as as I, I said in an interview not too long ago, average gets a paycheck, but exceptional has influence. And but you have to do exceptional things. And what most of us don't do is learn what those exceptional things are. And that's what the book breaks down. Everything you need to do to be exceptional, not because it's coming from me. I'm just the purveyor of the information because it comes from those people who in life have truly been uh, exceptional.
0: Superhumanize. Yes. And uh, in the book, you explain very well all of these five key traits, whether it's self-mastery, observation, communication, or, you know, taking direct and quick action, or what you mentioned about the creating psychological comfort in the book, uh, really step by step, Mm -hmm. I highly recommend that you can learn about how to harness all of that, how to fine tune it. And I also like how all of this, in a sense, builds onto each other, because uh, self mastery, for example, is the basis, in my opinion, for being able to take immediate action versus just reacting when you are run and ruled by your emotions. And observation, of course, is the basis for good communication and also being able to give psychological comfort to someone.
1: Yeah, it's, as you know, because, you know, you exude uh, empathy uh, in in all your interviews and, and so forth is the only way to really be empathetic is you have to be able to observe what does this person need right now and if and if you can't decode that if you can't interpret that and maybe you can't do it with the terms that, that i would use right but it, even if 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 just having a gut feeling if you don't If you don't bite into that and let it speak to you and say, you know what, this person needs a hug or this person needs to be alone right now, or maybe this person just needs somebody to sit next to them and not say a word. If you don't know how to do that um, because you're not observing, then you really cannot be. Um, empathetic.
0: Right. And you mentioned it before, you know, mere looking is completely different from observing. For those who would like to hone their observation skills, and of course, we live in a world where we're flooded by visual information, mm-hmm. but how can we become better observers? Are there a few things we can do to train this?
1: Oh, sure. I, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book is to. Uh, first of all put all the devices down and give your your senses the opportunity to sense the world um the minute you walk out the door take a deep breath and ask yourself what do I smell right now do I, do I smell cologne do I smell somebody uh, disinfectant do I smell that somebody uh, walked through here and uh, was uh, uh, drinking or smoking any number of of, of things smell f- uh, first, let the environment talk to you. Um, you know, sometimes here in Florida, you know, you, you'll have this this breeze um, that uh, has very little moisture in it and you can feel it in your hairs. Um, and then other times that that breeze is heavy and it has a lot of moisture. I'm letting the environment talk to me. And then as I'm walking down the street, I'm actually looking not just at the car. But what's in the car? What's on the outside? Where's that license plate from? What's as I walk by the car? What's what can I immediately see? And people say, "Gosh, you know, Joe, you it seems like you're just loading up your mind." No. (laughs) What happens is when you teach yourself to pick up on these things, it's like software. It runs in the background so that as you do it each day, it's not a burden. It becomes a burden. The first, you know, I give the example in the book of drive to any new city. And watch what happens to you. Your neck is turning every which way. Your eyes are going every direction. You're looking at this and that, and it's just over, over, overwhelming. And that's what happens when we don't practice observation. We we become over over um, overrun. Mm. Uh, we become burdened because we haven't practiced observation. When in fact, if you practice observation and then you need it, it just comes so smoothly. Right. It just it just instantly. Uh, delivers the message that that you need, but we need to practice that because it's a skill, right? Observation is a a skill, and you know people say, well, you know, is it like bike riding? Well, I can tell you, I haven't been on a bike in about ten years, and I got one on the other day, and I was a little wobbly. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, I could I could bicycle down the road, but I was a little wobbly at first. It's a skill, and it's something that you uh, you uh, you work on, but. Really exceptional people take the time to um, get to know the person, to uh, look in their eyes, to listen to them, to experience them. And those observations then drive the conversation and the relationship.
0: Right. And they drive the conversation into a more profound and also authentic direction. You also say that observation is the key to innovation. Please explain.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, we um, often are asked is, you know, how do you establish good relationships? How do you how do you establish trust? How do you establish Um, uh, that, you know, something is authentic. And once again, it's this combination of observation and communication. I'm observing how you're talking to me, the pace, uh, what we're talking about and so forth. At the same time, I'm communicating with you to fulfill whatever I Uh, expectations you may have and and so forth. And this back and forth mirrors each other. And this establishes, uh, begins to establish trust. And of course, nothing establishes trust as much as um, you reveal something to me and I validate it by acknowledging it and then giving it back to you. And so this, 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 this combination of, observation communication back and forth helps us to establish uh, trust very quickly in business or in, uh, or in relationship.
0: Right and which then leads uh, to the desired outcome. Um, the first part of our conversation you mentioned uh, when I asked you about whether you know body language is universal, that for example, in the case of the, uh, some of the Spanish conquistadores, you they would immediately know who would be a leader. Of mm-hmm. the people they would meet in what is now called America, yeah. uh, with regards to the body language of a true leader, what it is—is is it like? How can we detect it and uh, hopefully cultivate it ourselves? Mm. So one of the things
1: that's universal um, that we we've seen in in, in leaders is um, whether, again, whether we're looking at, for instance, uh, the the words of Sir Richard Burton when he was trying to find the the source of the Nile, uh, Bernard Diaz, Cook, um, and and all the others, is no matter where we go, Throughout the world, the the leader is usually the most poised. The leader uh, uh, does not shirk from his uh, responsibility. The leader um, is uh, the the one that whose gestures may be the broadest, uh, but they're also the smoothest. They have mm-hmm. a what we call in the military a command presence that uh, they exude. This um, uh, this through their body language that where they look how long they look um, how they talk to others this is this is all nonverbals one of the examples I I often give is if 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 you take a, a battlefield uniform um, of of a general and a corporal from the back they're identical they're identical. You can't tell the difference. Obviously, you don't want them to look different in battle because the snipers will go after the higher rank. But one of the things you notice is their body language is totally different. The the general, the, 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 uh, the the, the body language expressions of the general are so much different than uh than those of uh, of a, a subordinate. And that uh is a universal trait that uh, that we see, where uh, the leader is more deliberative. Uh, uh, they're more. Um, pensive, um, their gestures uh, much more uh, smooth, and they are uh, more confident. And Mm. uh, that has been, uh, at least in my own research, uh, this is what I have found. uh, Going back to um, the early explorers when they first got to China, um, uh, even before the time of uh, the Great Kublai Khan and 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 others, the nonverbals that were being observed by the Nestorian priests and and others is is remarkable. It is universal,
0: fascinating. Yeah, thank you for those insights, Joe. And there's a question I'll love to ask every guest on the show, and it's with regards to the practices that you may have in your life that have enhanced you mentally, physically, and or spiritually. Would you share that with us?
1: Yeah, thank you for for the opportunity. I I have to say that the the thing obviously, uh, uh, you know, having good good parents to to learn from uh, they they taught me so many things, but um, they weren't always with me. And, and the one thing that I would signal out is a reading. Um, mm-hmm. I as I said, we came from a. Uh, a background where we didn't have a lot of money, but I made sure that I studied everything that I wanted to study. And I, and I, and I read wide, I read history, biology, psychology, anthropology, law, um, everything that, uh, that really fascinated me. And in a way I created my own apprenticeship and that's what I would encourage others to do is no matter what life has brought you, create your own apprenticeship. Nobody's going to hand you anything, but you can create your own apprenticeship, whether you want to work with wood or steel or, um, learn an instrument. Um, with me, it was about, uh, growing my, my knowledge and having a, a love of knowledge. And it was about reading and, um, and it has never let me down.
0: Wonderful. That's uh, so great advice. I can relate to it as well. I love reading, uh, like I love breathing and Joe, for people who would like to reach out or learn more about you, where can they find you?
1: Um, I would encourage them to reach out to me at joenavarro.net and, uh, they on my website, uh, all my books, all my podcasts, uh, um, really uh, most of my work that's available uh, videos uh, the uh, body language academy uh, where I teach uh, body language so they can access it there
0: wonderful and Joe thank you so much for this exceptional and illuminating conversation I highly recommend your latest book be exceptional I'm really delighted and most grateful that you took time for the superhumanized podcast today thank you
1: Ah, uh, thank you. and thank you for the work that you do. it's ah uh, it's it's really an honor to be on your show.
0: Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.